So he interviewed her uh, and my my grandfather and my parents. He interviewed the four of them before we we took the trip to Armenia. Yeah, and, and were you aware of this interview? Or? Yeah, I was okay. there. Okay, so it was in the in the episode, and all my grandma would talk about was he. She didn't even know who Conan was. And she was just like. <laughs> Listen, tall white guy, find my granddaughter a husband, please. If you're going to Armenia, find her a husband. And that's all she talked about. That's all she cared about. So when, without me knowing, they went and they found a matchmaker in Armenia and they, you know, presented me with all of these options, all nice guys, some of them with criminal records. Town President Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio and all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> I have to say, I think we've done like 30 plus of these Chachi Loves Everybody podcasts. And this is actually the first one where I'm, I'm nervous. Like Stop. I've got some, I, I am, I'm really nervous, but... I'm going to do the best I can to get the intro out, and then we're going to dive in and we'll share with everyone who we're speaking with. Serving as Conan O'Brien's executive assistant for the last 10 years, my desk... <coughs> oh, you already back. screwed up. I already screwed up. See the pressure. <laughs> this, is, this is not off to a good start. Not it's, off to a good start. This is a train wreck. All right. Serving as Conan O'Brien's executive <laughs> assistant for the last 10 years, my next guest has become world famous in her own right. She also co-hosts... Conan Needs a Friend, which was named the best new podcast by Rolling Stone in 2018. What? And she was just recently became a best-selling author, a New York Times, New York Times best-selling yeah. author with the release of her new book, The World's Worst Assistant. Please welcome Sona Mosesian. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry I talked throughout your entire intro. I, was, <laughs> I made it worse. Well, I, this is, uh, you're, you're the biggest <laughs> celebrity that I think we've uh, we've had here. That so is, must be completely <laughs> untrue. I think it's, it's true. It's true. No, it's true. no, no, no. And I want to introduce, uh, most of you know Suzanne, our marketing director, but uh, Suzanne and Sona are cousins, and thank you to Suzanne for arranging this. My pleasure. I'm really excited for this. Yay! I know, she's my cousin. I did this. As soon as she, I didn't even read what she said. She's like, can you do this? And I was like, I'm not even going to read it. Yeah, I'll do it. And then, I, and then I read what she was asking. I was like, oh, that sounds really fun. Yes. I would have and, done it even if it wasn't Suzanne asking. And then you got here and you didn't want to turn away, huh? I did. I want to live here. I love your offices. You're always welcome back. I will. I'm going to just show up uninvited. You guys are going to be, you guys are going to regret you even asked me to come here. Well, you are always welcome. Tell me a little bit, both of you, about growing up in Hacienda Heights? What, uh, well, okay, first of all, Susan and I are uh, cousins because my dad is her grandpa's brother. So okay. he is the oldest of six. My grandpa's the, my dad is the youngest of six. So we have a really big, very loud, very close family. That's true. And it's Huge. growing. Susan's helping it grow. <laughs> She's uh, pregnant with our new cousin. And I just had two twin boys recently. But yeah, our, uh, it, it, you know, Growing up was really fun, and our family is all here. We grew up. Nobody left. Isn't that weird? Nobody was like, I'm going to move. And We have one that moved to Texas recently. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we have cousins. But for the most part, you've yeah. all stayed here. Yeah. They were seven- already in San Diego yeah, anyway. Right. So right. was- <laughs> <laughs> they didn't count, I guess. <laughs> So are you a pretty good kid? Are you are you getting into mischief or relatively responsible? I got responsible? into mischief. Did you? I did. Yeah. That's really deceiving to me because after reading Sona's book, I 
did not realize how mischievous she was. Yeah. But she was, you were, you came off as a good kid. I, you know, I wasn't bad in the sense that I wasn't like doing drugs and like, you know, I was going to say I wasn't stealing, but I was stealing. I had like, <laughs> I, I wasn't stealing a lot. I wasn't like a klepto. It's just every once in a while I'd be in a store and I'd be like, it would feel really good if I walked out with this bracelet. And I, uh, so I would do things like that. And then, you know, then my friends and I, you know, at one point we were egging houses, which is awful. And as a homeowner now, I'm horrified by it. Um, you know, you, you just kind of do things when you're young thinking, oh, this isn't going to be a big sure. deal. And then you grow up and you're like, that was really not cool. Yeah. Well, egging a house is a little bit of a rite of passage. I, I was I responsible. I, I did the same thing. I've done it. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not proud of it, but, I, but I've done it. But his head too. You must be, well, and we'll get into this in a second because I'm blown away by your sense of humor and just the a level of your comedy and the people that you surround yourself with are, you know, elite. But you also have to be really bright. You went to USC. I did. I did. You know what? I transferred to USC. I think it's important to note that because I think that I, I'm a very big compo- uh, proponent of the community college system. I am as well. Yeah. Did you go to Glendale? Here? I went to Mount San Antonio College okay. in Walnut. So I when I, when I when I was in school, I did just have fun. I goofed around a lot. I didn't pay much attention to my studies. And then I went to Mount San Antonio College and I really started to take things seriously there. So USC was never a possibility when I was in high school. I see. But it became a possibility when I went to community college. I had a very similar path. I went to a community college called Mount San Jacinto out near where I grew up. And I did that for two years. And then I transferred to the University of San Diego, not nearly as prestigious as USC. I was just there. That is the prettiest campus I've ever seen. It's breathtaking. How do you even study? (laughs) Oh my God. The ocean's there. You're like at a resort. It's beautiful. It's up on a beautiful hilltop looking over uh, Mission Bay. It's, it really is it's a spectacular It's absurdly campus. gorgeous. Yeah, I would never, I would just stare at the ocean it was or a- the bay all day long. I don't even know how people study there. I was there for a book festival. Oh, fantastic. How did yeah. it go? It was great. I actually was on a panel with my friend Raphael Agustin, who is, a, he wrote a book called Illegally Yours. And they paired us together on this panel, not knowing we knew each other for almost 20 years. Oh, what a coincidence. So it was just a really fun panel where we just, you know, talked and. Well, thanks for uh, visiting my alma mater. It's it's a great school. And I love USD, but USC, I mean, that's looked upon as one of the, I guess, 10, 15, 20 institutions in the the country. Uh, And it is the best one for communication. If you want to work in TV, I can't think of a better school. Um, I went there recently and I feel like they just built a soundstage on the on the campus like they just got all of this new all these new buildings like it's this the perfect place to cultivate creativity i i absolutely loved going there and when you were at community college was that then the goal you kind of got serious and you're like i want to i want to pursue a path in entertainment or where did that this career direction come from yeah i think i was i either wanted to work in tv or film and i realized uh, after interning, I don't have the patience for film. I don't have the patience to work on a movie and then wait two years for it to come out. Like I, I could never do that. So I worked, I thought, oh, television would be quicker. So I, I, I got an internship through USC at NBC and that's where I realized TV was it for me. Now, Suzanne, was Sona, when you guys were at family gatherings, was she the kind of the life of the party? Or she, You were. Uh, Everyone gravitates towards you, well, for sure. I think also because I'm like an older cousin. Maybe. And I think that's part of it. I think that's a, bi- that's a big thing. But we actually, we have, our, our, our whole family is just full of 
It's very creative, funny. really funny people. I mean, at every family function I went to growing up, we were laughing a lot. There's, you know, there's people who are just constantly thinking up of things. And, and it's, it's a really fun environment to grow up in, especially if you want to do something creative. I want to talk about your family and the Armenian culture here in a little bit because I'm very interested in it and I'm incredibly impressed what both of you do for your heritage and what you do for the Armenian uh, culture in particular. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about your first gig, I think right out of school as a page for NBC. Yes. Well, technically my first gig was at this entertainment research firm in in Culver City. Okay. I worked there for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I worked there for two weeks. It was a two hour commute and it was very serious. I had to wear like business clothes and I was like, I had to be very proper. And I realized very quickly, I think day two, I was like, this is not it for me. What did they have you doing there? They didn't even have, the job didn't exist before I went there. So I can't even tell you what I was hired to do. I'm I'm serious. I'm thinking right now about what the job title was. And I can't, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what the company did. Um, (laughs) You just knew it wasn't for you. I just knew it wasn't for me. So So you you quit? quit. All right. I quit. And I had interviewed to be a page months before. Okay. So I kind of gave up on that dream. And then I want to say the day I quit... I, that lunch, or the day I decided to quit at lunch that day, I got a call from the page office saying that I was going to be hired as a page. Oh, that's almost like Kismet. It is. That's it is. I what know. incredible timing. Which has been, I think my entire career at TV has been just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, luck and timing. And if you don't mind, most of the audience here is radio people. So can you fill us in a little bit on what a page's responsibilities are? So there's two coasts for NBC. There's the East Coast and the West Coast. Right. The East Coast is like, Oh, you go to the Today Show. You enter. You you pay. You do a page at uh, assignment at like SNL and you know at the Tonight Show, and it's like storied and great. Right. The West Coast, <laughs> however, <laughs> which is where I was a page, not the Rockefeller not, Center, <laughs> not Thirty Rock. Yeah. It is not Thirty Rockefeller Center. It is. It, you know, it was our old lot at in Burbank. It was. I think the days of our lives set. <laughs> but the thing about the days of our life set was you couldn't go in and actually look at the set. So most of the time you're just looking at this giant plywood it's like background of a set. <laughs> so you can't even see inside. And then, you know, there was the Access Hollywood set, which was like, you know, a lot of it was just kind of this empty space. Because sure. they're, you know, they, they move the set around a lot. And then the big finale was the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and uh, you know if you came at a certain time, Access Hollywood and the Tonight Show were were both closed because they were filming. So our tour was just the ba- like the back of a set <laughs> on Days of Our Lives, and it was you know you sat the audience at the Tonight Show, but it was you know the 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 East Coast page program for NBC is storied. Um, sure. The West Coast is more entertainment based. It's a lot of fun, but it there wasn't much to do. It's changed since I was a page. Uh, I don't even think they. I don't even know if the. West Coast pages wear uniforms anymore, which infuriates me. Yeah, that doesn't seem uh, nearly as prestigious without a uniform oh my or God. official. Filled with rage. I hated that, <laughs> that disgusting polyester blazer I had to wear in the blistering sun, showing people where to sit for the Tonight Show. And I was wearing a tie. And there were two people like, 
People who could wear the, the, the uniform all the time. And then people like me who the moment we got into the locker room, I was like ripping off the uniform, just, you know, trying to put on normal clothes. I hate, I absolutely hated that uniform. <laughs> so you put in your time as a page. Yes. And now you are asked to become, and I want to put this together, Conan O'Brien's assistant. Or how did you go from page to Conan's assistant? Well, I was a page for, I think about a year. I, I, I But I got on assignment about six six weeks into it in the events and operations department. So all the events like the press inner, like the press conferences, premiere parties, rap parties, things like that. I worked on, which okay. is actually a really great way to network. And sure. it's a really great way to meet people from different departments. And so I worked there. Then they hired me as the full-time events and operations okay. so coordinator. They're, they're impressed by you. They are so <laughs> impressed by me. They are impressed by me. But, you know, I'm, I'm watching Jerry Springer a lot during the day. I watch, you know, Bad Girls Club. I watch super inappropriate television for the workplace. And I'm like... I can't believe you guys want me to stick around, but I think it's because I'm really good under pressure. pressure. So <laughs> I don't, when, I'm not, I'm not someone who stresses out a lot. So <laughs> I think that for events, that's like the, a good quality to have. And so they, uh, they hired me on as the events and operations coordinator. And I met the guy, this man, Mark Lepis, who was the publicist for Conan's late night show. Okay. And then when I heard Conan was moving to, LA to do the Tonight Show. I thought, okay, I really want a job on that Tonight Show. I really want to. I really want to work for Conan O'Brien. Sure. And so uh, I did whatever I needed to do. I talked to the people I needed to talk to, and then Mark eventually uh, texted Conan on my behalf, which I think was huge. And then I just interviewed for the job, and I got it. I mean, it's. I wish it was more exciting. That's exciting. What was your first interview, or when you actually met Conan for the first time? Was that intense? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's funny to think of it back then because right now I've worked for him for so long that he's not, you know, Conan O'Brien. He's like Conan O'Brien. <laughs> 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 he's just this, you know, he's he's this guy now in my life. But back then, you know, he was the only late night show I watched. I loved his show. As did I. I, I loved yeah, him all think, throughout high school and college. Just the best. It's a generational thing. I think, For you sure. know, I, I, there's a younger generation that grew up that grew up watching Conan. And so when I first met him, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to interview and like stay professional and try to show him yeah. that I am a professional person when I'm Pretty starstruck, <laughs> you know? And so I just got my shit together. Excuse me, I'm no, sorry. No, absolutely. Um, cuss, cuss all you want. Oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, <laughs> your, your cousin has a foul mouth, too. I'm used to it. <laughs> so I, yeah. And then uh, I just kind of, you know, realized I needed to. At that point, they had limited the pool, I think, to about four people who were in for the second interview. So I was like... I just need to beat three other people for this job. And, and I'm sure that was a coveted position. It was. Yeah. Well, they didn't even post about it. So I think that they, you know, they uh, posted a PA listing, which was just a regular production oh, I assistant. See. So it's almost like a hidden took, thing. Yeah. And they took resumes out of that pile. Because they couldn't, I mean, if they were like, Conan O'Brien needs an assistant, they'd be inundated with uh, sure. resumes. And you were thrown in. I mean, it probably couldn't have been a crazier time in his personal life. He had taken over The Tonight Show. There was obviously all that uh, craziness surrounding that. Yeah. And tell me about just during that era, the pressure, and you actually just mentioned it, staying cool under pressure, but just yeah. going through all that with him. Uh, 
So he was, when I started working for him, he was still living on the East Coast. So he was in New York. So I was working for him remotely for the first three months. Oh, I see. So you were getting ready for the pandemic and working remotely yeah. way, way ahead of time. You were, yeah. you were. <laughs> I know, I'd go to NBC and I'd just look for an empty, I'm serious. I would just look for an empty office <laughs> and I would sit there and I would work. I don't even know whose office it was. Every, anytime I would see an empty office, in this one specific building, I would just sneak in there and work from there. And and that's how I, I was working the first three months. And uh, yeah, I think that there was a lot of pressure for him. But at that point, you know, we weren't close. So he wasn't opening up to me about how I much see. pressure he was under and how you know nerve wracking it was. But I could tell, I mean, it was a huge, huge, not only was he taking over this very storied franchise, he was also moving his entire family and a lot of his staff across country. Sure. And I think the magnifying glass was just on, everyone was following what was going on with that. It was yeah. such a big deal. And so I'm sure, I couldn't even imagine that kind of pressure. And you just being involved at any level, I would imagine had to have been stressful. It was really, uh, it was, I, w- I want to say it was stressful, but I, I don't remember being stressed at that time. That You know, I think that he was doing what he could to manage it. And I think that he was having a lot of fun being the host of The Tonight Show when he did eventually start. And so it was, for a while, it was really fun until it wasn't. wasn't. And then then NBC ultimately invites you to leave. Yes. And, or combination kind of thereof. And- At that point, I mean, I know you were in integral being his assistant, but you weren't really playing an on-air role until he moved to, well, until he did the documentary, Conan Can't Stop, yeah, and took you on tour with him along with some others, and you guys went to 40 or 50 different markets yeah. doing a, a, a very well-reviewed comedy show, uh-huh. and that was all then documented for this documentary, which was, by the way, I had so much fun doing the prep for this show. Did it was you? so great, <laughs> just the content, but all of a sudden, you are, at least in my eyes, were thrust in front of the camera. Was that relatively new at that point to you? Very, very new and very expected. I think that I, I thought that, you know, Conan's friend Rodman directed that uh, documentary and he was the one with the camera everywhere. And even though he was pointing it towards, you know, him and ostensibly me, because I was always near him, I just didn't think that it would be that kind of doc. I thought he was going to do the show most of the time. So. Right. You know, I have a whole section in my book about how I was eating throughout that entire documentary. (laughs) And I think that it's because I just I'm I've never been prepared to be on camera. I'm not a very poised person. I think I you know, I wouldn't describe myself as being poised or prepared in any way about being on camera. So I think that I did not expect how prevalent I would be in that documentary, how 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 prominent I would be you know, featured. I think it's such a testament to you. And on one of the pieces I saw him speak about you, I can't remember the exact bit, but who you are off camera is the same as on camera. And I have just met you for, you know, 10 minutes, whatever it's been now, but I can actually absolutely see that. And your, your wit is unbelievable. I mean, you are hanging with the equivalent of elite athletes. You are with the LeBron James of comedy, right? And you can just jump into that game, onto that court and hang with them, which is so amazing to me. Well, that's a good analogy because I don't think I would be jumping in the game. I think I'd be a really good ball boy. If that makes any sense. (laughs) I'm being super serious, right? Because I really, you know, 
I think that the biggest mistake anybody in my position would make is to try to go toe-to-toe comedically with someone like Conan O'Brien. I think that I know I can never reach that level, and I'm perfectly okay with that. And I Sure, few people, I guess, can reach that. We'll go back to the LeBron analogy, but yeah. someone has got to be able to throw that ball to LeBron. Someone's got to be able to give him the assist. Right, And okay. you are so good at it. It's amazing. And I was just blown away. I mean, I found myself laughing as I was reading your book, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but these bits, and I can see why he brings you on over and over again, because you just, you nail it. And it's- uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, and sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. being a bit of a fanboy no, right no, now. No, but no, 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 I really- appreciate that because I don't, I still, you know, um, I'm on this podcast with Conan and then Matt Gorley, who's, you know, a podcasting legend. He's done it for so many years and he's really good at improv and he's really good at thinking off the top of his head. So there's often times where I'm like, I'm not sure what I bring to this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that to like, you know, fish for compliments. Although you guys are welcome to compliment. (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, But I think that my, and I'm glad you brought that up with the assist. I think my, the moments when I'm happiest in terms of what I contribute is when I can say something that triggers something in Conan's mind that lets him go off on this really funny tangent. And, you know, if, if there's something that I say that can sort of, ignite something in his brain, it makes me feel like I've done something. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And you found, I think, uh, in a, a wonderful position and you're so good at it. And I also, again, going back to the documentary, we'll go into your podcast in a few and a little bit of a teaser, uh, uh, Conan and uh, Coco, uh, Coco Productions, is that right? Or Team, Team Coco. Team Coco, my apologies. Just signed you a You said bo- you did your research. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Coco part right. Team Coco just signed a blockbuster, incredible deal with Sirius and We'll go into that in a few minutes, but uh, congratulations and hold off on those details. But let's go back to Conan O'Brien Can't Stop documentary. You also, I think, brought out this authenticity in him when I watched that documentary that I'd never seen. He was really just open about his feelings and what was happening at this, you know, incredibly, I'm sure, scary time in his life and a vulnerable time in his life. And I can also see that, uh, that great relationship that the two of you have. Well, I think, you know, uh, we're... In the beginning when he took over The Tonight Show, I didn't know him that well and I hadn't been working for him that long. When we went on tour, at that point I had been working for him for almost a year and a half, which is still not that long. But at that point, I was in a very sort of supportive role for him that it became, I wasn't just in this administrative position where I was scheduling things for him, but- right we actually were becoming good friends. And so he would open up to me a lot about the way he was feeling and the things that he were, he was feeling. And, you know, I became sort of a sounding board for him. So, and, you know, I think anybody who was around him knew he was going through something that was really intense for him. Sure. And, um, you know, going on a tour that big alone would have been a lot for someone, but going on a tour that big after you've had this very public sort of falling out with your a network you were on for like 16 years is is a completely different thing. Sure. I'm sure that's, you know, this massive breakup that's playing out in front yeah. of the public eye. And I'm sure there's a lot of feelings, uh, humiliation um, that goes up around that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a lot for him to deal with, but he's, you know, he's very open. He talks about things a lot. So I think it, it helps him when he gets it out. Did you at this point ever fear for your gig? Were you fearful that, oh man, I may not have a job tomorrow? I know I should say yes, but I was Conan's assistant. So I was like, I'm fine. I know it sounds awful. <laughs> 
awful. I know it's awful. It is. It's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. But when you do find, and this has been sort of the theme throughout my entire time working for him, is I do grab onto his coattails as much as I can. And I just ride that wave for, you know, as much as I can. And I think that, um, you know, as long as he is doing something and as long as his phone is under my name, which is it. <laughs> I feel like I will always have a place in the Conan O'Brien world because, you know, he needed a phone. So I wasn't going to put it under Conan O'Brien. So I put it under my name. And these are the little seeds I planted throughout my entire time working for him to the point where he's like, if I if if Sona disappears tomorrow, everything kind of falls apart. And that's exactly what I want him to think and feel, even though it, it won't. But he feels yeah, that way. And that's, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Sometimes that's how you get the best performance out of someone is they need to feel that fear. They get too comfortable and then they they call it in, right? Yes. Yeah. Totally understand. So you guys do this, uh, this tour across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, The documentary comes out critically acclaimed. Fantastic. I highly recommend it. And then you go to TBS to do a show for almost a a full decade. Yeah. And so what was that going from television to a live show now back to TV? What was that transition? I think everybody was really excited about it. He brought a lot of the staff back that he had at the Tonight show, which was really great. So, um, you know, people stuck around. He also, after the settlement, he paid people out of his pocket. And I saw him sign checks personally, you know, to, to keep people paid until the tour was over and the new show started, which I think says a lot about him. He did it during the writer's strike and he's always been very generous to his staff. So a lot of people came back and then they, um, they, uh, we, we had this show and we kind of just, you know, realized we could do whatever we wanted. We were on basic cable and, uh, you know, he had sort of, they gave him full sort of control over the content of the show, which I think was actually a relief because you come from the tonight show, which is very regulated. Oh, interesting. So there's actually people watching over the bits and the things that you would put on Yeah, in a way. It's it's not like the network is constantly giving you notes, but there's so much pressure. It's it's such a, you know, it's a franchise that's existed for so long and there's so much pressure. Sure. And you feel this constant need to have to have the widest appeal possible, I think. And, And I almost, it almost felt as though there was like, at least from my perspective, there was almost this this like weight that had been lifted off of Conan's shoulders. And I, I feel like he just seemed very at ease. And so we really enjoyed our time at TBS. They, they were really, really good to us for the whole time we were there. And you really now started to f- flourish on the show and he was starting to utilize you and a lot of the on, on air. And uh, you actually got, uh, he, ho- or I'm sorry, he interviewed you um, during the television show because uh, Kum- uh, Kumail Nanjiani, I yeah. m- messed up his name, he canceled last minute. So he yeah. brings you on actually to be the guest for the show. Were you, in when you watch it, it comes off as it's completely unexpected. Did you know that was happening? Or no, you- no, no. <laughs> I, so I think that, um, I mean, they told me, but I think they gave me about, you know, a 15 minute notice oh my God. before the show started. <laughs> yeah. Which is, but I actually looking back on it, I think that if I had known I was going to be the guest on that show. And they had told me like weeks before, I think I would have been really nervous. Actually, I don't even know if I would have. <laughs> I, I want to say that I would have been nervous and I would have overthought it, but I, it's just not like me to get nervous about those kinds of things. So I think that I would, 
But I think I would have overthought it too much. And when they told me, they basically were like, get into makeup, but they didn't tell me why. So Jeff Ross, our executive producer, was just like, get into makeup after he got out of a meeting in Conan's dressing room, which I was kicked out of, which is weird because <laughs> I usually sit in all the pre-show meetings. That oh, they really? Have, and they were like, Sona, can you step out for a second? I was like, this is weird, you know, and then... Um, then I was just sitting there eating cheese and then they were like, get into, get into makeup and I'm in makeup. And I remember they're like putting makeup on my face. I'm like, why, why is this happening? What's, why are you putting makeup on my face? And I think at that point there was still, you know, I personally didn't know that he, Camille Nanjiani wasn't going to make it. I thought there was, he was going to be late and that they were going to stall the show, but apparently he had just said he was not going to make it. So they were trying to think of things to do. And so they like told me to get into makeup and then, you know, they're like, all right, you're going to be on the show. And I'm like, what am I, what am I going to talk about? You know, I have no idea what, what to talk about. And we just sort of winged it, but it was really fun. You know, I mean, you know, at that point I'd been working for Conan for a really long time. So we, if you just put a microphone in front of us, which is, I think what the podcast is, right? we just talk and then, you know, you're so nonsense. good at it. Uh, case in point, just, you know, going through what I'm doing, doing this whole process with you. You're just an absolute pleasure to, oh. to, to interview. Thank you. So hey. I was reading your book and again, we'll go into some details about the book here in a few minutes, but you talk about when Conan hosted the uh, White House Correspondents Dinner yes. in 2013. Yes. And so President Obama's there. And I mean, it is the elite of Washington, D.C. And uh, to be invited to host that's a huge honor in and of itself. And while you're this incredible personality and, and obviously so talented, you also have some responsibility, administrative responsibility. So if you wouldn't mind, tell people a little about the story about running down basically from his hotel room down to the printer, back to the hotel room, to the printer right. and getting everything prepared. So we, we had a hotel room in the hotel that uh, the White House Correspondents Dinner was taking place. And so up until the very last minute, uh, Conan and Mike Sweeney, the head writer, are making edits on the on the speech. And then they print it all out on these blue note cards that they have me print out at the business center <laughs> at the hotel. So I'm, you know, disheveled. My hair is a mess. I have flip flops on and I'm running back and forth from the room down to the business center, printing it. They're making more changes, more prints, whatever. And then eventually, you know, the White House Correspondents Dinner is starting soon. Sure. And there's Secret Service all around. There's Secret and- Service is coming because Barack Obama's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're, and then they're seeing this like weird frizzy haired person in flip flops and like sh- <laughs> schlubby clothes just like running down, like all frazzled. And they're like, what, you know, what are you doing? And it's, it, the business center is right next to the ballroom where they're having the, uh, the white, the dinner. And I'm like, I have to print these for Conan O'Brien. You know, like I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> and at one point, you know, there's they're all in their tuxedos. Their wives are in their dresses. Sure. They're ready. And they have this pre-show sort of meet and greet with President Obama and, you know, the first lady. And, and, and they're, you know, they're waiting for me. And then the printer jams. And this is one of those moments where I'm just like, I'm having an actual heart attack. <laughs> And the Secret Service had already told me that I had to, like, make sure I was dressed the next time I came down because I looked like I was, you know, a person who just wandered off the street, who was just going to the business center to print things on note cards. And so they're, you know, they're like, next time you come, you have to be dressed for the event. And I was like, okay. And then I came down in dress and, and flip flops and then printer jammed. And it was it was just one of those moments where I was just sweating 
And I, you know, I think the stakes just felt so much higher. Sure. I don't think it any higher than that. No, I mean, it was, it just like all the entire speech that Conan was going to give was basically in my hand <laughs> and the printer was jamming. <laughs> and you were and, this close to being carted away, carted I, away yeah, by Secret Service. And the Secret Service was like eyeing me and my frizz and they were like, this frizz doesn't belong in this hotel right now, you know, fix it. And so they, you know, they, it was really nerve wracking, but there are moments, but then I went back, uh, you know, just in time, gave it to him. He left immediately to go to this pre-show reception. And I remember, you know, I'm sitting there and I, you know, I was, I was sweating. I was nervous. There was so much going on, but it got done, you know, and, it, and, and he saw it get done and all of the internal sort of feelings I was feeling in this, this like not in my chest and this like nervousness, none of it, like none of it came through to him. So, you know, he asked me to do a job and I did it, but that's how it is many times throughout my job is like something goes wrong and then you panic for a second and then you just get it done somehow. Sure. So. And you, you come through in the ultimate pressure. Yeah. And then back to what you said, something inside you makes you feel so good when Conan just ultimately delivers a great joke or yes. is able to uh, put on a fantastic performance. What was it like sitting in the back of the room and just watching him you know, yeah. do a phenomenal well, job? I wanted to be like, I printed that. <laughs> you know, to everybody, I was like, guys, guys, I printed, I printed that speech on those blue note cards. I did that. But of course no one cares. But I also, you know, just it's been oftentimes in his career, anytime he does something that I even have a tiny part in, whether it's printing it out or laughing at a first run of the jokes, because he 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 likes reading jokes to me because I'm a, I, I laugh a lot. And then I laugh at things that aren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a good assistant should. Yeah. As a good yeah. assistant should, which is why I was always in the pre-show meeting yeah. is because <laughs> they would tell me, they would do the monologue and then I would, you know, laugh. Or if I didn't laugh, a lot of times that would gauge how the audience would, would laugh. But of course my humor is very juvenile. So I would laugh a lot at like poop jokes and dick jokes and stuff. And like, the actual smart jokes, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know if I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime he, he does really well at something like that, where I feel like I had some hand in it, you know, I, I'm very proud to, you know, even if it's a tiny, tiny part of it, I'm very proud to be a part of that. Sure. As you should be. I mean, it's amazing as I was going through for the prep for this, uh, for this podcast, just how much content Team Coco puts out. Yes. It's unbelievable. I mean, you are a factory of phenomenal content. It's not like you're putting out mediocre content. It is all really good and yeah. very funny. Yeah. Talking about content, I want to get into the podcast. I also want to get into your book. But before we do that, let's go. Uh, I, I want to talk about your Armenian, uh, both you and Suzanne's Ar Armenian uh, heritage. And uh, we'll kick it off with when Conan actually took you to Armenia. And I think he was trying to to marry you off at that point or find find you a husband. He was. Yeah, he was. Uh, which I didn't know about until we got to a, like, in front of a random house. And he's like, because uh, my, okay, so we, to back up, we went to Cuba. And we did a show in Cuba. And it went really well. And Conan realized he wanted to continue doing these shows where we travel internationally. And he does a show internationally. So it was his suggestion to go to Armenia and take me to Armenia for the second show, which was a huge, huge moment for me. I mean, I, I, I didn't think we were actually going to do it until we actually landed in Armenia. Then I was like, oh, my God, we're here. 
and there's cameras and we're filming this. This is sure. amazing. Um, but my grandma, who uh, at that point was in her 90s and was growing very impatient with me being single, um, <laughs> very, very impatient to the point where I would go to her house and she would just constantly be like, what are you doing to get yourself out there? <laughs> why, why do you keep coming here single? And she was like, I can't. She was basically saying she can't pass away until she sees me married. And then I was like, then why would I get married? Because I don't ever want you to pass away. So oh. that was the thing. I was I was always like, I'm not going to get married if I, you know, if that means you're going to die the right. next day. <laughs> so, um, so he interviewed her uh, and my my grandfather and my parents. He interviewed the four of them before we we took the trip to Armenia. Yeah, and, and were you aware of this interview? Or? Yeah, I was okay. there. Okay, so it was in the in the episode, and all my grandma would talk about was he. She didn't even know who Conan was. She was just like. <laughs> Listen, tall white guy, find my granddaughter a husband, please. If you're going to Armenia, find her a husband. And that's all she talked about. That's all she cared about. So when, without me knowing, they went and they found a matchmaker in Armenia and they, you know, presented me with all of these options, all nice guys, some of them with criminal records, but, you know, a lot of them with a lot of baggage, some of them 19. So, um, you know, it didn't work out, but it's funny as a side story, my husband saw that episode and then friended me on Facebook, but I ignored it until really? I met him in real life. Yeah. Okay. Save that. That's incredible. Cause yeah. I want to talk about your husband. I also know you have twin boys. I do. Yeah. So it did work. The show ended up it, working. It did actually work, Sean. Shockingly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he didn't great. know I was single in, until he watched the show, and then he realized it. And then, you know, we they edited the show, and I invited twenty of my family, including Susan, and she, you know, she came. My cousins came, and it was such. I mean, like, was I was awesome. so nervous. It was the first time I saw it, yeah. so oh, I you didn't had not know. seen it fully edited. I had not seen the full show, so I didn't know uh, how it was going to turn out. But I was really nervous because, you know, in this community, if you do something that is embarrassing or, you know, it hurts the culture, you're done and sure. as you should be, you know, sure. I mean, it, it seems as though it's a lot of stakes. Wouldn't you say I that? I totally agree. It's either like you do it and do it right or don't do it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. I think, you know, I've seen an episode where you've come out on an Armenian float with the <laughs> Armenian flag. And yeah. I know Suzanne's incredibly involved in the Armenian community yes. with the, uh, whether it's fundraisers, uh, you know, the recognition tragically, there are several countries and I believe including the United States that don't recognize the genocide. And, uh, I know, um, I think officially they, they recognized it like a couple years ago. Oh, they yeah, have. they yeah, actually yeah. did. And then for the first time ever, a sitting American president used the, the term genocide, which was a really big deal and, and is, and it's, it's a big move and it really means a lot. Growing up, your heritage was incredibly important to your, your family. What has, I guess, given you, and there's a lot of people, I'm, I'm Jewish, and I'm embarrassed to say I probably don't do as much as I should for Jewish causes, if you will. I'm proud of my uh, my heritage, but I'm not really out there flying the flag like I think I should. And I yeah. see both of you doing that. What uh, Does that come from your family or just your, your own internal um, uh, uh, drive? What would you say? Maybe a mix of it. I was going to say both. Yeah, I think we start off as like, you're Armenian, be proud, learn the language, this and that. But then you start 
becoming more Armenian. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how to explain that. It's just yeah, not everyone is like that. No, but you, you're, and also we're a product of immigrants. So sure, we both were born here. Our parents weren't. Was your mom born? No, here? no, no. No, your mom wasn't born here either. Yeah. So you know, our parents weren't, and so you know, they they came here, and this is why they all came to the same area. They all came to Montebello and Hacienda Heights, and we grew up in the same community, and we were all really close because they came here. They didn't know many people. They didn't know how to speak the language. So then we're born, and then you have this, like, pull between how much do you assimilate and how much do you keep your Armenianness? And, you know, Sue's married an immigrant as well, and so did I. You know, my husband's from Armenia, and, and Suzanne's husband's from Argentina. So, and so there's... Like, you know, you're going to have a baby. I have two babies. We really want to raise them with this sense of pride in their Armenian culture. But of course, you know, the longer we're here, the harder it is to hang on to that, you know. And as much as I've assimilated, I know that my kids will probably assimilate even more. But I want them to know that, you know, the culture is very, it's a very good thing to be connected to a culture that has just so much history like Armenians. I am so impressed. I live in Glendale. I work in Glendale. So if you would have asked me an hour ago and you said, how many Armenians are there in the world? I'd be a hundred million. You know, I thought there are a lot. There's only eight million Armenians in the world. A little over two million are in Armenia and the rest are, you know, a lot here, of course, and so forth. But that's I had what no idea. I, I, Googled, I had no idea. I, I Googled it because I'm, I'm very interested in it. And I, I see a lot of parallels between being Jewish and, oh, and Armenians definitely. and so forth. But when you look at just how many uh, Armenians have gone on to achieve great things, and I, I came across this list of the you know the hundred uh, most influential Armenians and Kirk Kakorian, Cher, Andre Agassi, uh, Gary mm. Kasparov, who's looked upon as the best chess player of all time. You, of course, okay. Sona. Do not listen. <laughs> Let's be in this analyst. Share, please. I but, mean, share. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? And and all four members of System of a Down. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... You Mike know, Connors. Who? Uh, I said the same thing. She said it. <laughs> so the 70s, an actor. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> we did it. But There's I, always, they're always popping up. Armenians are always popping up somewhere. And you, you could tell because their name rhymes with Armenian, you know, sure. there's the IAN at the end. And, and that's a, you know, I, I don't know if you do this, but I play Find the Armenian every time I watch a movie. 100% all the yeah. time at the credits. But so impressive. And I think it's uh, incredible what both of you guys do. Thank you. Uh, certainly for your, your heritage and your culture and Armenia. Um, uh, and thank you for that episode. I also know I've never been, but I've heard amazing things. Uh, one of my best friends, Ar- uh, who's a radio personality he's trying to go to every country in the world and he's at 100 in uh, I think 94 or I'm sorry he has to go to 194 he's at like 184 I think oh my god 10 left but uh, he lists his favorite countries and Armenia is top 3 out wow. of all the countries in the world oh wow yeah. I think a lot of us went there not knowing what to expect I went with a crew of all non-Armenians nobody I went with was Armenian and I don't think anybody knew what to expect. And everybody was very, very pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, I think that we we went there with a bias, including me, about Yerevan, which is the the, the main city in Armenia. Sure. And I, you know, when I was growing up, I heard stories about how the electricity would turn off, how water would turn off, because they were this post-Soviet country that was rebuilding. And then we went, and it's this beautiful metropolitan city. And there's people walking around, and it's bustling, and I was really pleasantly surprised. I don't know. I mean, I had such a, 
an idea about it. That was and so it changes wrong. every year. So like I went in 2007 mm-hmm. and it was still developing and it was like fun. And then I went um, after in 2021 and it was like Paris. To yeah. Me. Like it was amazing. Yeah. So every, it's, it's changing really, up every it's year. It's really yeah. incredible. Yeah. I would love to go. It's, it's on my list. I love that uh, you think that there's a hundred million Armenians because you live in Glendale. <laughs> Let's transition into Conan Needs a Friend, yeah. uh, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show that Rolling Stone in 2008, or sorry, 2018, named it uh, the best new podcast for the year, which is an incredible honor. I don't even know if I remembered that. Could, uh, that was, I was like, did we? I mean, nice. so, some of the guests you've had are Michelle Obama, Anderson Cooper, Willie Nelson, Tom, uh, Tom Hanks, David Letterman. I mean, it's just A-list, A-list celebrity. Yeah. How did the show come about? It sort of just seemed like a natural thing for Conan to do. He's a really good interviewer, but on the show, he gets, you know, six minutes per guest for each segment. And so I think it was Adam Sachs who is in charge of all of our podcasts. He's in charge of our uh, podcast sort of arm. And he's the one who kind of spearheaded that whole process of bringing Conan into the podcast world. And he was, and, and Conan started and we had a few test runs, I guess, where like, you know, we would interview someone we knew, a friend, and just kind of see how it worked. And we all loved it. We all had a really good time. I didn't know what to expect, but I think that over time, it's just sort of grown into this beast. And I'm surprised at how many people recognize my voice. Uh, how many people have, you know, I've, I was in a store the other day in Pasadena and someone was like, I know your voice. Are you Sona from Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend? Wow. And I was like, I am. Am I being too loud? <laughs> you you are so good at it. I've been in you know the audio space for 25, probably longer than that now, but let's say 25 years. And you are just absolutely natural at it. And I understand Conan and you know he grew up in entertainment, but where did you learn to do it? Did you have coaching? Oh, no, 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 no coaching. No coaching. I think that the the thing about it is the less I'm prepared, I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's actually a really good way for me to work. The less I prepared, the less I'm prepared and the less I know, the more at ease I feel. Really? And if I get to a point where I'm like nervous, where I just get, you know, kind of in my own head about things, uh, it, you know, I, I feel like I, I don't come off very well. And I think that a big part of why I'm comfortable speaking is because I, I did speech. I was, I competed in speech when I was in college. Okay. And so that kind of made me feel a lot more comfortable speaking in front of people. But also, you know, if we're in a room with a huge celebrity, I don't really get starstruck anymore, you know? And I figure I'm there. I, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. Like if, if the podcast doesn't go well, I still have my job as Conan's assistant. So I'm like, <laughs> I've got nothing to lose. So I, I don't, not, no stakes makes me feel more comfortable. But what an honor to be asked. How did it, uh, who came to you saying, hey, we want you and Matt Gorley to be the co-hosts along with Conan? Uh, Conan. Conan asked Jeez. me if I would be on the podcast with him. And I think at that point, because I had been on the show a bunch of times and people were aware of our chemistry and how we are talking to each other, I can't, I can't do this with anyone but Conan. I, I will say that I think he tends to bring out the best in me when it comes to doing things like this that are in the public eye. So I don't think that I could do it without Conan. And I think that, um, 
when he asked me to do it, it was a huge honor. And I realized it's just the two of us talking like we normally would, except it's recorded and millions of people yeah. listen and to And Michelle it. Obama's talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just yeah. like a regular it's conversation. Just a regular conversation. <laughs> with Michelle Obama. Um, but then, and then Matt Gorley came on and neither one of us knew him. Neither one of us knew Matt, which uh, is surprising to even think about, but neither oh, one I didn't of us know knew that. him. No, he was a, he was a producer in the podcasting world, and we had never met him, but Adam brought him on, and, uh, and all the other people who had been like, sort of working on the podcast brought him on, and originally he was going to be mostly behind the scenes producing. Okay. And then he just started started joining more often, and, and Conan started calling on him more to kind of contribute, and, and now it's the three of us, and it's so much fun. I, I mean, it's it really is just like such it's a blast. It's a terrific podcast. I honestly hadn't spent much time with it until, uh, you know, Suzanne, thank you again, Suzanne, for mm-hmm. uh, uh, having Sona, arranging for Sona to be here. Uh, and I started listening. You guys are really good. And it's, I completely understand why Sirius just did a blockbuster deal where yeah. they bought, if I'm understanding right, all of Team Coco's digital, which would include the podcast and uh, I guess digital assets. And so now you guys are part of the Sirius family. Is yeah, that- yeah. I am part of this. I'm, I'm a Sirius employee now, which is, you know, it's very exciting. I get new benefits and uh, I have a serious email, I think. I have no idea. <laughs> to be honest, I have no idea. I mean, I think that I, I get paid differently, you know. it's. Uh, but so far, Sirius has been really, really great. Um, I feel like I have to say that because I work for them now. Sirius is wonderful. Uh, no, they, they really are a great company. And they're. Um, it hasn't been that long, but... I think that what I wasn't sure about when we first, when I first heard about the deal happening and that it was going to happen, I I think I wasn't sure if that meant that people would need a serious subscription to listen to our podcast. And that kind of bummed me out a little to be behind a paywall. But that's not true. I mean, we're still readily available. And yeah, I was able to download uh, download for free off of the Team Coco website. Actually, oh, that's okay. where I where I got uh, to listen to well, some of the shows. That's clearly a glitch. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Of course, of course. I mean, no, it's it's readily available. It's free. It's like you could just listen to it. And this this reportedly, you don't have to uh, confirm or deny, but reportedly, this all sold for 150 million dollars to. Sirius. I got half of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm handing. Away. I'm no. not going to ask how much you, you got, but it must feel incredibly rewarding to be part of content that is valued at that degree. And I understand that Conan's a, a big part of that. And let's say Conan's 90% of it. Oh, even well, if I would fine. say more. Let's yeah. say that Conan's 95% of it. It yeah. still means that you are, you were part of a, a podcast that, that sold for millions of dollars yes. and to create something and be on, you know, the, the co-host of that, what does that feel like? I mean, very few Ugh. people go on to, when I say very few people, we're talking, you know, uh, fractions of, of 1% go on to have that kind of success in this industry or in, in Hollywood uh, yeah, in general. I, I agree. I think that, uh, I mean, Conan O'Brien as a brand is massive and his fans are incredibly loyal and they really are just the best best fans I've ever met. I mean, I just did a book tour for my book and I met a lot of people who grew up listening to Conan watching Conan and, and to just be part of his orbit is, it has always been thrilling in the last 13 years that I've been working for him. It has never stopped being absolutely thrilling. And the, the amount of things that we get to do 
because of Conan is just really exciting. So to to know that I have been on this podcast from the very beginning and I've seen it sort of grow into this this thing that then sold for so much money. Uh it it really I you know, you can't really before it you can't really put a monetary value on something like that. Sure. And now you realize, oh, there is a monetary value and it's massive. And it's it's really, really fascinating to see that he's grown that from the ground up. I mean, I think that would be our equivalent um, you know, of winning a Super Bowl or an NBA championship yeah. or something. I mean, it's hard in this business to I mean, we have awards and so forth, but to to accomplish that is absolutely amazing and you know that's a movie in and of itself that could be created yeah yeah no I think that for me too though it's important for me and not by important I mean I have no choice to just stay away from the business aspect of it because I don't understand anything (laughs) I'm not even kidding I think most of my adult life has been winging it in terms of money and financial stuff. And I'm very lucky my brother is a financial advisor. Otherwise I would have no money (laughs) and I'd have no retirement. I'd have no direction on what to do with anything. But Conan's the same too. I think that he surrounds himself with people who understand that aspect of the business. Sure. Because you need to, because he's, his head is so full of just so many bits and comedy and just like churning out content and like thinking about things like that, that he isn't going to think, oh, you know, uh, this is my return on, I I can't even come up with a fake, like, financial term. Like, that's how little I know about it. Is return on investment. Return uh, on investment. Okay, yeah. yeah. So there's people who know those things. I'm not one of those people, and, and Conan's not one of those people. So I don't know how the business of it works. I think that, again, that's one of those things where if I thought about it too much, I think the stakes would feel a little higher for me. And so I I tend not to think about that stuff. You know, as long as I get a, a paycheck, I'm fine. As long as bills are paid, then I'm okay. But, you know, I, I don't really want to think about all that, all that yeah. stuff. It's overwhelming. Well, whatever you're doing, it is absolutely working. Thank so you. I think it's ah, a, a great path to continue on and congratulations on that deal and becoming a, a serious employee. Thank you. Let's talk about your book. Okay. My understanding is two years ago, you were uh, asked to do a book and about three months ago, you started writing it. <laughs> you, <laughs> last, you waited until the, uh, the very last uh, minute, but uh, tell me all about The World's Worst Assistant, uh, your brand new New York Times bestseller. Yes. Yeah, I, I've learned that people said that if, if don't let anyone say it's a best-selling book, you have to tell them it's a New York Times best-selling book. Because <laughs> that qualifies uh, it. That's the, the yeah. elite list. It really is. And I think that I think I was on it for one week. Um, <laughs> but amazing. that's all you need. That's all you need. Incredible. And then it's like being an Oscar winner. It's like Oscar winner, Sonoma Obsessing. It's like New York Times bestseller, Sonoma Obsessing. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I started writing this. My friend, Liesl Reinhardt, told me to write a book and she told me, call it the world's worst assistant. <laughs> I mean, she just, gave, she handed it to me on a silver platter. Wait, this is this a friend in the industry or just a friend friend? She was, uh, she, she's worked in the industry before. She's, she's one of these people who's the jack of all trades. She can do anything. But I met her in college. She was one of my professors in college. She was actually my speech professor in college. So you know, she's played a really big role in, uh, in just my life. And, and so she and I were hiking and she told me to write it. And then I said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) And then, um, I wrote a proposal, which is not that difficult. And then the proposal 
got me a deal, and then I had to write a book, which so is a, difficult. A proposal that you sent to publishers. To publishers, to an agent, and then who then sent it out to publishers. I see. So you had this concept, because this book is really, really hysterical. It's oh, thank funny. you. Thank you. So she helped you with the concept, and then you wrote this proposal. She told me the title, and then she helped me kind of come up with a little bit of the structure and everything. But in terms of the content, you know, it... Writing a book is really hard. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I think I didn't realize. <laughs> and then in the time that I sold the book and the time when it was due, I got pregnant and had twin boys. And so I was like, do I keep these boys alive and pay attention to them or do I write this book? Like that was the at a point that was like, what do I do? And so sure. the book was, obviously my boys were neglected. No, I'm <laughs> No, my, the book was was neglected for a very long time. And then I finally got to a point where I think I was like a couple months out and I was, you know, staring at this deadline that I had already pushed. And so I just started writing, like my goal was 2000 words per day. I just had to sit and find time to write 2000 words per day. And there's a, there's a section called filler where I just <laughs> fill the words with pages with words because I'm just, I just need to meet like a word count. That's my goal. And so <laughs> I was like, I don't care how I'm going to do it. Like fat margins and like, you know, making the font bigger. I just need to make this book look bigger than it is. And yeah. It is so well-written. It's so funny. Thank you so much. I mean, much. I think you knocked it out of the park. Thank you. Suzanne and I were uh, recently in Chicago, and so on our way back, we were at the airport. We had a few minutes to kill, so we went into the local Hudson, mm -hmm. and there it was in in literally the Hudson bookstore, uh, which was incredibly cool to see that. And you know cool. at those bookstores, because it's got a small footprint, because it's in an airport, they've only got maybe 500 titles, right? If that. It's only the very New York Times best-selling oh, books right. that yeah. are there, and and so we uh, took a picture of Suzanne holding your book, opened to the picture where she is in the book. Yes. When everyone came to see the debut of the Armenia episode. And uh, we made a point to go to the, uh, the lady, the cashier, to say, hey, do you know that this is her cousin's <laughs> book? I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm so happy to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, and she was actually pretty taken back. She was. Hey, she's like, oh, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> I think she thought it was you. <laughs> Someone I, I remember your sister was in like a, an Uber or something, and someone was like, "You remind me of someone." They're like, "You remind me of do you know Sona Conan's assistant?" And she's like, "That's my cousin." It was just a very <laughs> random. We all have a little bit of similarities yeah. in us for sure. I mean, you could it's, tell, especially if we're all in a room, you could see, you could feel the cousin energy. You I know? love that you guys are so close, yeah. and it's very apparent to me that uh, obviously your family's achieved so much. And uh, while Suzanne. No Sona, because it's hard to be Sona. She's really damn impressive. She is. She's <laughs> no, I, yes, I, am, I am very impressed with my cousin, Suzanne. I mean, her, your job with Aid Beyond Borders is amazing. I mean, yeah. her charity is, you know, I went to a charity um, event that she did recently. It was sold out. And, you know, it was incredibly impressive how much work she puts into it. I can't believe you do that, a full-time job, and now you're having a baby at the same time. It is it's really incredible. Yeah, yeah She's an That's integral fun. part of our, our business, and uh, there's no doubt that we would not have the success that we've had if it weren't for her and her amazing market, marketing skills. And hey. I have an awesome team, and Chachi's a great mentor, and so it's 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 cool to work here. That's uh, so nice. No, Again, no Conan O'Brien, but I try. Yeah. Uh, you know, Conan was my 
my intern boss for a little bit. He was. I interned with yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She did. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, for how like cool. A summer or like a few weeks in the summer. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I didn't know someone. That. <laughs> <laughs> so she knew someone, yeah. Your book is available now. Obviously, Amazon uh, at Hudson. If you happen to be at Chicago O'Hare, it's, yeah. it's there. Um, talk to me just really quick. We'll wrap this up. But uh, you've got twin boys. How old are they? They're one. They're oh uh, one in a uh, God. They're they were born July first, so they're one in like a month or something. So you've month got and a half. you have your hands full. I do, I do, and they're in this phase now where they only want me to carry them all the time. I can't sit with them, so I have to carry them all the time. And sometimes they're both crying, so I'm just holding two giant babies, and my back is absolutely destroyed. But I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I became a mother pretty late in life, and I didn't think I would take to it as much as I have. And I am uh, very much obsessed with them and, and being their mom. And I, I love them very much. Oh, that's congratulations. Thank that's uh, that's fantastic. And then you tell us a little bit about back to the Armenia episode. So Conan was not successful finding you someone in Armenia, but your husband to be yeah. Facebook's you or. So yeah, after the episode, he and a lot of other Armenians uh, sent me a friend request on, <laughs> on Facebook and I ignored all of them because I said, why am I going to be friends with all these people? I don't know. So I ignored his as well. And then we met at Comic-Con, I want to say a few months later, we were, I was walking around at Comic-Con with a friend of mine. He was with a friend of his. Our friends knew each other and we just ran into each other on the floor and they started talking, catching up. And then I started talking to him. Not realizing he had Facebooked you. Not realizing he had Facebooked me. So I, I, you know, was very taken by him. I was really interested, but I didn't know if the girl he was walking with was his girlfriend or, you know, so we didn't exchange phone numbers and then the next day, I did a lot of cyber stalking. I, I just, I stalked him. And I, I remember I was asking my friend, I was like, what's your friend's name? And I went and I found her and I was like looking for signs. Is she with him? And I found a picture of him and you could tell it was platonic. And so I go to his page and I notice it says, you know, respond to friend requests. Like he had sent me a friend request months before. So I just accepted him as a friend. And then we started messaging and then, you know, that turned into texting. And a year later we were engaged and now we have two little fat babies running around. And what a great story. It's pretty That's, insane. Yeah. So you have Conan and Comic-Con to thank. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Comic-Con. And I guess Conan, <laughs> I guess Conan, although the journey there was very embarrassing, filled with, uh, you know, somebody, you know, a, 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 what is, a matchmaker who, uh, you know, didn't have much success then, but, you know, she had success afterwards, I guess. Well, congratulations on all of your success and thank you so much for taking the time. This, this has been so a much tr fun. tremendous amount of fun. I will tell you, uh, the gentleman, his name is Gary Wall, who convinced me to start doing this podcast. And Gary, have you ever heard of Jack FM? Yes, of course. Yeah, so Gary owns the Jack, uh, the Jack Radio uh, Network. And his name is not Jack. His, his name is not is not Jack, but <laughs> his claim to fame is kind of a, a, a similar um, a path. Um, he is the first person to hire Jimmy Kimmel. So he oh hired Jimmy Kimmel into radio. Oh. 
And uh, so obviously it was very instrumental in, in Jimmy's uh, career. Yeah. And so he was the one, hey, you need to kind of broaden out beyond just radio people. And so you're the first person that we'd reached out to, even though it's adjacent podcasting. It is, but, yeah. But thank you uh, for doing this and being our guinea pig. You were oh, amazing. I'm thrilled. This was so much fun. I want to have my cousin Suzanne with me at every interview I do from now on. <laughs> I'm down to be there. Yeah, no, this was so much fun. I, you know, I, I was going to do this remotely and I realized I really wanted to come in and just, you know, see you guys in person and smell you and smell this office. <laughs> and I'm so happy I did because this has been so much fun. Yeah, when I found out, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that Sona's coming in. I never expected that. I was really, I was nervous ahead of this. I was. Uh, no, you, you don't have to be. It's so funny when people say things like that to me because I, I work for an incredibly famous person. And so when people say, oh, what is it like being famous now? I'm like, I'm not, you know, I, fame is when you could get a same day reservation at a really nice restaurant. <laughs> when you call somebody, I, I think I saw, I saw a video recently of a sort of a young pop star, uh, sort of standing in the middle of a very busy city waiting for someone to recognize him. <laughs> And no one did. And I realized, you know, a lot of people think they're famous, but they're not. If Conan was there, people would be staring at him. So there's nothing like working for someone who's very, very famous to remind you that you're not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you're, you're, you're verified on, uh, on Instagram. You're famous to me. Yeah. Not on Twitter. I'm not really? on Twitter. Are you serious? Yeah. I just, I think you have to do something and I'm too, I'm too lazy. That is just weird. Yeah. Yeah. That maybe that's why Elon Musk is not closing in on Twitter. They that's obviously exactly don't the have their He's shit been together. He's blowing up my phone. Get it verified so we could close this deal. I'm like, Elon, just give me a car and I'll do it. Yeah, because the one that Conan gave you was pretty shitty. I saw oh, that episode. It was awful. Yeah, everyone thinks after, behind, I'm sorry, I know you want to finish no, this. No, no, keep on but going. But behind the scenes, everyone thinks that he like opened a second curtain and was like, I actually got you this beautiful car. And I'm like, no, of course he didn't. Have you watched Conan? You think that he would do something? He's not Oprah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it would, it would. I think it would really take away from the bit if, like, he really did get me a nice <laughs> yeah. car. So no, he didn't. But you know, he pays me, so I was able to buy one with uh, the money he pays me for doing my. Well, job. good. I that that car really was. That was a jalopy, man. It was absolutely <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. it was, the TV didn't even. The cameras didn't even capture how gross it was because they didn't get the smell. It was so disgusting. <laughs> well, thank you again. It was. Uh, absolute pleasure and a lot of fun and thank you Suzanne and thank you uh, to Darren thanks guys thanks for listening to Chachi Loves Everybody if you like the show we hope you leave us a five star rating and tell your friends please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts this has been a Benstown McVeigh podcast production hosted and researched by Dave Chachi Dennis executive producer Darren Silva producer and editor Jake Urbanic show coordinator Estefania Padilla marketing and distribution Suzanne Aksu and Robbie Gessel